Heavenly Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for your presence, for your spirit. We thank you because you speak to us. You speak to us. And so, Father God, we ask you to speak to us today, God. Change us. Let your word transform us. Let your word guide us. Let your word direct us. Let your word propel us. And as you do that, God, I promise that I will give you the entire glory and the entire honor. Use me for your glory. My God, every friend that is here today, God, every visitor that is here today, God, I pray you touch them today. I pray you minister in their hearts, God. I pray that they may walk out of this place <laughs> with your swag, Lord. With your swag. In Jesus' name. If you're here for the first time, friend, I'm going to preach for about 30 minutes, maybe more. Yeah, I haven't preached in two weeks. <laughs> I'm going to preach for about 30 minutes, and here's what's going to happen. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, that's going to be your cue to give your life to Jesus. So you're going to, when I count to three, you're going to raise your hand. You're going to receive Jesus, and what you're going to do, I did in August 16, 1989, under a tent in the Bronx, 149th Street, Brook Avenue. That's where I gave my life to Jesus at 1150-something at night. A preacher preached. I raised my hand. My life has changed over 25, 30 years, 25 years ago to God be the glory. Today is your day to raise your hand and receive Jesus. And in this church, when somebody accepts Jesus, we have a party. We have a party. And so at the end of the sermon, when I count to three, that's your cue. That's your sign to respond to what God wants to tell you. And so don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Ain't nobody here looking at you to judge you. We're just going to celebrate you coming back home to the glory of the Father. Amen, church? I want you to touch the person to your right and to your left and tell them all you need is swag. Come on, but you can't say that. All you need is swag. No, you got you to gotta, you gotta say it with swag. All you need is swag. No, all you need is swag. All you need is swag. We, we need to walk life with swag. Can I get an amen? And no, this is not a ghetto church. And I'm going to refer to some scripture in found in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and chapter 17, which narrates the first stages of King David's life. I believe that everybody who has been to church knows at least the beginning stage of David's life. And I want to start off by saying that greatness is always accompanied by challenge. There is no such thing as a great person without having gone through some challenges in life. Everything great comes with challenge. Everything valuable comes with challenge. And I have learned in my life that when those challenge, challenging moments come in my walk, I've learned that what doesn't break you will make you. I've learned that those things that are so strong and tumultuous and rough in my journey I've learned that when those things come my way and they don't demolish me, 
and destroy me? Some kind of way, God uses those things to make me the person I am today. And when I look at the scripture, when I look at the Bible, and I look particularly in the life of King David prior to being king, he is the epitome of a man who understands that what doesn't break you makes you. Now understand, the people that break us or that have the capacity to break us the most are the people who are closest to us. You ever heard that phrase, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me? Yeah, but let your mama tell you something. Let your father tell you, you stupid. Let your mama say, you just gonna be, you're going to be a hoochie like your auntie. That phrase, that phrase doesn't, it applies to people you don't know. But when it's somebody close to you, when it's somebody close to you, words have power. And when I look at David, when I look at David's life, and I see how he made it to the apex of his success, his success doesn't make sense because everything he went through to get to the throne was total the contrary of what we believe we need to make it. Check this out. David was disregarded by his father. When the prophet Samuel came looking for a king, Jesse brought all of his sons except for David. He left them with the shield, with the field, with the, in the field with the sheep. He was disregarded by his father. That's enough reason for David to be nothing but a shepherd boy in the field. That your own father says, nah, he ain't got it. He don't qualify. He ain't never going to be no king. He don't have what it takes. He was disregarded. Not only was he disregarded by his father, he was belittled by his eldest brother. When Jesse, his father, tells David, I want you to go to the field, and I want you to bring cheese and bread to your brothers. When his brother, his older brother, saw him, he said, what are you doing here? Why don't you go back and take care of the sheep? He was belittled by his elder brother. He was felt sorry by Saul. Saul played a pity party on David. When David said, I'll fight the giant, Saul said, you puppy? Are you serious? You're a young boy, and this giant has been fighting since he was a youth. Uh, Papa, you know what? Here, take, take my sword and take my shield and take my breastplate. He felt pity. He was pitied on. So understand, his father rejected him. His older brother belittled him. His king disregarded him. Felt sorry by, by Saul. And then he's insulted by Goliath. Who am I? You come to me with sticks. Insulted by, by Goliath. And later on his journey, he is mocked by his own wife. There's more than enough reason for David to live life with no swag. Listen to me. But in spite, despite everything he went through in life, instead of breaking him, it made him better. Instead of distorting his image of himself, it made him a stronger person. And consequence, God gave 
David the victory. Now, why did God give David the victory? Because David had swag. I learned in life that all you need to be victorious is just some swag. You don't need friends. Friends are good. You don't need money. Listen, if you ain't got, if you got swag, you can get money. If you got swag, doors going to open on your behalf. If you got swag, God will pick you over everybody else. Because the God I serve is looking for people who got. Now, what is swag? I'm going to give you a definition of swag. Swag is an acronym I'm going to talk about today. We need to learn how to walk in swag. We need to be walking in swag. So the S for swag is we need to walk in the spirit. Look what the Bible says. Look what the Bible says. 1 Samuel 16, 13, it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day... The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Listen to me. Spirituality is a non-negotiable if you want to live life with swag. Every believer that has accepted Jesus as Savior should live life full of the spirit of God. Understand this. Living a life in the spirit is not something I do Sundays only. Living a life in the spirit is not what I do from 11.15 to 12.45. No, living. The Bible says that from that day, somebody write, Somebody say on. See, some of us, we come to church and we get full of spirit Sunday. We clock out 12.45, 1 o'clock, and ain't no more spirit in us till next Sunday. But from that day on, from the moment the spirit was poured on David, every single day of David's life was full of the spirit of God. You would be surprised how the devil loses his grip on your life when you are full with the spirit of the Lord. From that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And here is crazy. I like that phrase at the end. Samuel then went to Ramah. You know what that tells me? That David's power of the, the, the spirit of God over David was not dependent on the pastor. That the power of God over David was not the end result of a minister. When you understand that when God empowers you with his spirit, you don't have to be surrounded by a pastor. You don't have to be surrounded by a worship. This is why people only have church on Sunday. Because they think church is worship. Church is preaching. Church is a pastor. Church is the deacon. Papa, you can be in the wilderness. The Bible says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow and of death, I will fear no evil because your presence is with me. Take the spirit of God in your job, in your school, in your family, and let the power of God operate through you for the glory of his name. The prophet left, but the power was still over David. Now, here's what's crazy. That David played the harp, the Bible says. But he played the harp empowered by the Spirit of God. Listen to me. 
David had a gift. But what validated his gift was that the power of the Spirit was upon David. There are some people that you, there's some people in this room, you have so many good qualities and so many great gifts and so many great talents. And oh my God, so I see you guys on social media posting and, and filtering and, 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 and photoshopping because I see some of y'all here and y'all look nothing like what I see on social media. I'm like, what happened to him? <laughs> what happened to her? Now, 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 you have talent, and you have gifts, and you have ability. Now, imagine if you take that, empowered by the Spirit of God. Imagine, I, I, I've heard some of you guys on social media do your little Sophie singing little song of, I don't know who, uh, Rihanna, and, and, now, imagine you take that work, work, work voice, and you get up on a pulpit full of the power and the Holy Ghost. You'd be surprised how God can take your gift with the power of the Holy Spirit to change your world. Filled with the Spirit. Enabled. Listen, listen, listen. David had a gift. But what exposed him to the king was the power of the Spirit. David was a great player, but just like David, there were a bunch of other players. But when you walk with the S of swag, when you're filled with the Spirit, now here's what's crazy. He played the harp and powered by the Holy Ghost. Now, here's what happened. The moment David got filled with the spirit, that spirit that David had, guess who he used to be on? King Saul. But let me tell you, the moment you, as you are filled with the spirit and you start letting pride get in your heart, talk about I'm anointed, it's all about me. Look what happened. Look what happened. God anoints David to be king. And so the anointing that King Saul had is now transferred to David. And look at what happens. Because listen, every person in the world, every person in the world has a spirit living inside of them. You're either filled with the spirit of God or you're filled with the spirit of the devil. There's only two worlds. There's a godly world and an ungodly world. There's, there's no gray line. There's no, oh, yeah, he's in transition. No, you <laughs> no, it's either God or the devil. It's either up or down. But everybody has a spirit. So the moment, the moment, the moment, the moment God's spirit left Saul and entered into David, another spirit entered into Saul. The Bible says, what the Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14 through 18, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful, who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that when he play it with his hands, when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, King Saul, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, who is a mighty man of valor. Who is a man of war, 
prudent in his speech, a handsome person, and the Lord is. Saul is looking for a musician. But this servant of Saul, he said, yeah, I, I, I know there's a lot of musicians out there. They got gifts and talents. But there's something about this little guy by the name of David that he can play. But there's some other things that David comes with. It's, it's some other things in the package of David that are even better than the capacity to play good piano or play good harp. He says, he says, he says I know a guy. Look, he's from the house of Jesse of Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means? House of bread, house of bread, house of bread. This guy, this guy, I'm going to recommend you is a guy who understands and knows and cherishes what it is to eat by bread because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. This guy is a man of the word. You want to be in the place God wants you to be. I challenge you, begin to live a life based on the word of God, and you'll be surprised how the word of God in your life can usher you places, your talents, and your gifts and your potential can never take you. He said, I know a guy. He's from the house of bread. And look what he says. He's skillful. That's what you want. Yeah, I, I, I got a guy that's skillful. But aside from that, look what he is. He is a mighty man of valor. And this is why being in the spirit, being in the spirit comes with all these virtues and values. He's a mighty man of valor. He's a man of war. He's prudent in his speech. He's a handsome person. That word handsome is not good looking because, because if God's criteria to use us is to be handsome, then none of y'all will be called by God. Because I'm good looking, baby. Right, baby? I'm the best looking thing in this place to my wife. When the Bible says, I found a guy who's good looking, he's handsome. He's not referring to looks. Handsome in, the, in this context is that he is pleasant. That everywhere he goes, he brings a good vibe into the atmosphere. That everywhere he goes, you cannot be a Christian full of the spirit. And in your workplace, everybody hate you. And you're so nasty. And you're so ugly. And when you talk, it's like roaches coming out your mouth. You're supposed to be the type of person that when you show up, peace shows up. When you show up, joy shows up. When you show up, somebody want to smile. And somebody want to hug somebody because you're full of the spirit of God. This is what it is to live a life in the spirit. We have a lot of people that got talent, but they don't have character. You got talent, but you don't got character. He says, okay, you want, you want, you want talent? He could play. But let me, let me talk about his character. His character is he's mighty. He's a man of war. Let me tell you, he's the type of person that when things get rough, he don't get packed up and go. He's the type of person that when they talk about him, he's not going to run into the next church. He's going to fight the good fight of faith. Prudent in his speech. What does that mean? That he thinks before he talks. Some of us talk and then think. And we make mistakes in our marriages because we jump the gun. He said, no, this guy, he's so full of the spirit that when he speaks, he speaks in season. He's so full of the spirit that when he opens his mouth, he builds, he edifies, he restores. He's prudent in his speech. He's a handsome person. And aside from all of those things, the greatest and most important one is, and the Lord is with me. Listen to me. Now, why is this important? Why do you need to have these qualities? Here's why. 
because as David is now going to minister to Saul, a conflict comes. And the conflict is, this is Saul's conflict. Saul's conflict is that he needs David's music to be delivered from the spirits that torment him. But at the same time, he is jealous of David and is trying to kill him. While the guy he's trying to kill is healing him. So while he's benefiting from David's anointing, he's simultaneously trying to kill the anointed one. And this is why I like David, because David, David is the type of guy, he's like, David knew he was trying to kill him. But David kept on playing. He kept on playing. Because, because the moment David stops playing, what he's saying is, I don't want to do my assignment anymore because I am afraid of what this man's going to do to me. But when you're filled with the spirit, listen, listen, that, you know, you know, you know not, 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 not my church, not, not this church. But as a leader, as a pastor, you know, there are people that come to church that they, they, just, don't, they just don't like the pastor. And, and they try to manipulate the pastor. And so now the pastor is trying to win the people. And the pastor is trying to make people happy. And my job, lo, woe unto me the day I do that. So I got to have the capacity to keep on preaching the word. And when people don't like me, that don't like me, come to church. I want you to know I'm not going to change playing the harp because you don't like me. God anointed me, not you. God had equipped me, not you. But the moment I stop doing what God called me to do to make you like me, I am, by, I am forfeiting the calling of God over my life. So I am watching that you don't like me, but I'm still serving Jesus. But I got my eye on you because I want you to know that once you stole that spear, I'm going to duck and I'm going to keep playing again. I'm going to duck and I'm going to preach next Sunday. I'm going to duck and I'm going to worship God again. Touch your neighbor, you got to learn how to duck. 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 I'm not going to stop doing this because he who has begun the good work in me is faithful and able to complete it. How is it that Saul is trying to kill the guy who's blessing you? How is it? Listen to me, church. Beware of people who benefit from your anointing, but don't care about you. Be careful. Don't hate them. Don't hate them. Don't block them out of Facebook. Just be careful. And you got to have discernment. That's right. Not everybody can be my friend. You, you, you can be my friend on Facebook. I got 3,000 friends on Facebook. But you can't be my friend. So I have to have the capacity to serve you but know that when you're out to kill me, I got to be able to move from the crowd. Listen to me. So like David, church, serve them. But don't turn your back to them. This is a test that you must pass because if it doesn't break you, it's going to make you on your way to the throne. So, 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 and, and so why this is important? Because, because the devil wants us to live life Unable to give God our best worship because of the attacks that comes on our ways. Because he wants us now to try to fight against the attacks on our own. And once you start fighting your fights, you put down the arm, one of the greatest arms you have, which is worship. But you need to understand that you cannot let go worship to fight your fight. Because there's something about God and worshipers. Whenever God sees a worshiper, God says, Papa, I got you. 
I'm going to fight your battle. Let me tell you something. God fights on behalf of worshipers. Can I get a good amen right there? Look at the Bible says. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it talks about Jehaziel and Jehoshaphat. Look what it says, verse 13 and on. Look what it says. All the men of Judah and their wives and their children and their little ones stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is not what the Lord says to you. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Why? For the battle is not yours, but God's. Look what he says. Look what he says. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Look what he says. He says, take up your position. What position? Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. What is your position? This is their position. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. And all of the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. That was the position that they had to take. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Kor Koratites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with every loud voice. Early in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. This is their position. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures as they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground and no one had escaped. This battle was won the moment they started to worship. You would be surprised when you give God worship in the middle of your fight. God will fight your enemies to the glory of God. Listen to me. Your worship is your greatest weapon. Your worship equips you for worship. Your worship will build you for war. Your worship will build you for war. 
your worship will build you toward why? Because there's something about worshiping God in the spirit. Let me tell you, when, listen, listen. There are people that come to church and they have a worship service, but they don't worship. They like the music. They like the words. But, but there's, there's a moment. We all come to church singing. We all come to church singing. But somewhere in between the singing, the singing turns to worship. We all, so that, that something happens from the moment you start singing to the moment you start worshiping. And that process is called a fight. It's called, because some of y'all came with baggage in your house and stuff in your mind and stuff in your heart and stuff in your, in your finances. And you're stressed out and you're overwhelmed and you came parked in the, in the parking lot and you had a fight with your spouse and you're here upset and you come and you start singing. But somewhere between the third song, something is happening that now you're not singing. Now you're in worship. That's called war, baby. We got to get to a place that our worship can take us into the battle so that when we become battle cry worshipers, we can look at Goliath and say, I am not afraid of you. Listen to me, church. Worship equips you for war. You don't believe me? Read the book of Joshua chapter 6. When they overcame the walls of Jericho, God told them, don't fight. Just walk around the wall seven times. Uh-huh. For six days, they walked around Jericho. And on the seventh day, they walked seven times. And on the seventh time, God told them, now start praising and start worshiping and start shouting out. And some kind of way, I don't understand it. Physics cannot explain it. Science cannot articulate it. Knowledge cannot define it, but some kind of way, the Bible says that the walls of Jericho came falling down. Now, when you read that scripture in the original text, it doesn't, you know, when we think about it, we see pieces of fall of walls crumbling down. No, that's not what happened. When the Bible says that the walls came down flat, what the, Bi- what the Bible is saying, that the actual wall sunk through the dirt and it fell down. It went through the dirt. It went, it sunk in the earth. When you start giving God that praise and when you start giving God worship, it's going to be a kind of miracle that doesn't make sense. Why? So that people look at your miracle and they've got to give God glory and not man. Listen to me. So, so to walk with swag, here's what you need. You need the spirit. Number two, you need worship. Number three, to walk with swag, you need authority. See, and this is why you can only have authority in the spirit. You could only have authority in worship. You could only have authority. This is why, this is why David in 1 Samuel chapter 7, 17, verse 40 to 47, he looks at Goliath, and Goliath was a giant. He was big. He was huge. But David, who was a man of worship, who was a man of the spirit, he says with authority, he says, today I will cut your head and I will feed your body to the fowls of the air. That If that's not authority, I don't know what is. How could someone so small look at someone so big and tell him, I'm going to cut your head off? Because when you're in the presence of God and when you're filled with the Spirit, you're not afraid of the enemy. You're not afraid of your Goliath. You're not afraid of your giant. Because greater is he that's in you. He operates in authority. Because spending time in God's presence will always expose you to how big your God is. Spending time in worship will always expose you to the greatness of the God you serve. 
have the power to overcome your sin. You have the power to overcome your past. You have the power to overcome your enemy. But you need to be full of the spirit. You need to be a, a worshiper to activate the swag of God. So S, spirit. W, worship. A and G, grace. Listen to me. Why is this important? It's important that as God uses you in authority, you always are mindful that you are where you are by grace and not because you deserve it. Because last David remembered, David didn't deserve to be king over Israel, but grace got him there. Listen, walking in the favor of God will open doors that no one can open. When you walk in the favor of God, God will do to you what he did to David. Living in grace will open you doors, but living in grace keeps you and I humble. You cannot enjoy true grace and be arrogant and prideful. True grace is best lived with humility and thanksgiving. Grace finds a way to bless you. And I've learned, I've, I, I used to hear people say it and preach it, and, and, and it was nice and cliche-ish, but now in these past few years, I am living this. Grace isn't fair. Grace is not fair. Grace is not, well, if you do this, that, and the other, you're going to get grace. No, grace, grace operates different. That's why you got people that get saved a year, and a year later they're in ministry. They have people that have been saved 20 years and they still haven't been able to do anything. It's not, it's, it's not that God has preference. It's grace. I mean, some of us are just lazy, but, but, but sometimes it's just grace. All you need is God in your life for grace to show up. That's what's crazy about it. That grace, you don't get grace in a seminar. You don't get grace in an institute school. You get grace by God. By God. Listen to me. saw David, who was full of the spirit. God saw David, who was a worshiper. God saw David, who operated in authority. The Bible says that when the lion and the bear came to devour his sheep, he operated in authority, and he devoured those giants. And it was a man who lived under that. Listen to me. That God said, I'm going to grace him above his brothers, and I'm going to pick the least likely into becoming the king of Israel. Chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, the prophet didn't anoint David because he felt David was qualified. If it were up to prophet Samuel, he would have anointed his other brothers. But he anointed him because of grace. He didn't have, listen, David didn't have military experience. All he had was a slingshot and some sheep. But he had experience in God's presence. And that's all you, listen to me, that's all you need to be used by God. Everything else, study the Bible, that's all good, you should do it, that's great. But for God's grace to operate in your life, all you need <laughs> is a relationship with Jesus Christ. All you need after you're saved to be used by God is say, Lord, I submit to you. I want to be filled by you. I'm going to worship you in spirit and in truth. And some kind of way, 
God will make a way for his people. Listen to me, church. So see this. Eliab, David is taking care of sheep. David had eight brothers. Well, a total of eight brothers. And when the prophet comes, Jesse says, I got my sons. You going to pick one of my kids? Okay. Look what, look what he brings. He brings, there's a line of seven. David is out there in the field. He didn't bring David. And the prophet comes. And his father and Jesse says, oh, 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 oh. Look, look, look at this guy. His name is, his name is Eliab. And so they all lined up. Seven of them are lined up here. When he calls Eliab, Eliab takes a foot forward. And the prophet looks at Eliab. He's like, mm, he looks like a king. Mm, he's good. Oh, yeah. Look at those chest. Oh, you can tell he has Bowflex in his house. Look, look at him, man. He, he, he's on a keto diet. Look at him. He's and he was about to pour the anointing. And God said, uh-uh, he ain't the one. But he looks like a king. And God said, no, no, Papa, you're looking at the outside, but I look at the heart. So now, so now, Eliab is not chosen. Jesse says to the father, all right, time out. Okay, all right, here's what I'm going to do. Abinadab, come up. So Abinadab is right here. He takes another step. So now you have Eliab and Abinadab. And Samuel is like, okay, this guy is a, oh, look at him. Ooh. I got it. Oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. I I have no discernment. My bad. Jesse said, no, no, no. Forget about Eliab and Abinadab. Time out. Shama. Here comes Shama. And Shama was like, sorry, fellas. <laughs> I'm about to be king. And God said, Leroy. Leroy. They didn't even continue calling the other names. And the prophet said, hey, listen. Is there anybody else in this house? He's like, yeah, you know, I got, I got this guy. I got my son over there, you know, redhead guy over there. Ah, things like he hasn't, he hasn't taken a bath in three weeks. He smells like sheep. He's always playing this little thing called a harp over there somewhere. And Samuel says, bring him in this house because we're not going to sit at the table and eat. Look what it says, verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. And so here comes Jesse. Getting, I, I, don't know who, I don't know who sent words to bring David, but here comes David. I, I, I see him with like flies all over him, you know, this. As the deer panteth for the water, he's walking with swag. So my Lord, na na na, to thee, you alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. And everybody's fighting for position, but he's full of the spirit, he's full of worship, he's full of the authority, and he's full of grace. So he's as the deer panthers for flies are flying all over his head the water so my soul longeth after thee you alone are my heart's desire and I long to wear and then his brother says yo Debbie where were you 
they didn't invite me, but he was like, I'm sorry. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. A thousand zel. When you got swag, it don't matter that nobody wants you. When you got swag, it don't matter that nobody applauds you. When you got swag, you walk in authority. You walk in the spirit. You're a worshiper, and you're living in grace. Then he shows up, he shows up, and when David shows up, he knows what's going to happen. Because David's been waiting for this moment all of his life. He already had a preview. And when the prophet comes to anoint David, David didn't ask for confirmation. Because when you walk with swag, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. But... But just in case y'all need confirmation that God has called me to be king over Israel, come here, come here, Eliab. You are a confirmation that I'm going to be the king because Eliab means God is my father. So Eliab, the fact that you're right here, God is telling me through your name, God is Papa. And even though my father rejected me, but Abba, Father, will not reject me. So Eliab means God is my father. Abinadab means God will keep his promise. And Shama means God is present. So David walks into Samuel with those three expressions. God, my father, who has made me a promise, is with me all the days of my life. What qualified David to be king of Israel? Swag. You want to be used by God? Live life swagging. Live life in the spirit. Live life as a worshiper. Live life in his authority. And live life understanding that where you are is by his grace. And every step you take. It ain't, this ain't arrogance. This ain't arrogance. This is swag. I know who I am, baby. I am the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm not going to I'm, I'm going to borrow. I'm not going to lend. When, when you walk in swag, you walk in authority. So church, before I leave, I want to pray. I want to pray with and for you. Friend, I told you I was going to count to three. I'm going to count right now. If you want Jesus, you want that swag that God wants to give you today. You want that life that God has provided for everyone who receives Jesus. Here's what you need to do. You need to accept them. Like I did, August 16, 1989. Today is your day to accept and receive swag through Jesus Christ. So every eye closed and every head bowed, please, all over this room. I'm going to count to three. And if you want Jesus, please don't be the third to raise your hand, the fifth. Make it your business to be the first one to say, I surrender my life to Jesus. All over this room, unafraid, unashamed, at the count of three, raise your hand like a rocket to the sky. Here we go. One, two, three. I see one hand. I see two. I see three. I see four. I see five. I see six. I see seven. I see eight. I see nine. I see ten. I see eleven. Come on, give God a hand praise. Give God a hand praise.